And welcome to Teach Me Something, the podcast where I look into something I'm curious about and then I teach the best parts to you. I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And today we also have a special guest joining us, Warren, our resident European history expert. Thank you. Glad to be here. Warren's going to help us out, provide some insight, color commentary throughout this three-part series we're starting on Henry VIII. So parts one and two are going to tell you a little bit about the life and times of Henry And I do say a bit, because this dude's life was eventful, to say the least, and it seems like you'd need an entire semester at university, or two or three, to (laughs) cover that whole thing. Um, And then part three is going to be just about Henry's health, and what his potential diagnoses might have been. Sure. Um, So, personally, for me, before I started doing this research, I thought of Henry as an, you know, infamous wife-killing tyrant on an all-encompassing quest for a male heir. That was my knowledge. I, I think I knew the names of his well, first it's not, two. it's not untrue. <laughs> right. <laughs> Definitely not untrue. Just yeah. doesn't define him entirely. No, but that was my entire knowledge of him. It's just those things. Like I said, maybe I knew the names of his first two queens, I think. I think yeah. I was pretty sure with that. Uh, yeah, I didn't know a lot about... Well, they I, recycled I the names too, right? He, well, yeah. I was there two Catherines in there? his fault. There's a lot of Catherines. Oh, okay. There's a lot of, there's I wasn't going to blame patterns. him for it. Yeah, he didn't recycle them himself. <laughs> it just happened like that. Um, As we'll find out, they weren't very good at having I did know something about names. the church. I was like, yeah, he had something to do with the church thing. The part mm-hmm. with the Protestants and the Catholics. And that's, you know, that's all I got. So, needless to say, I've learned some more things now. Um, I, nice. feel, I feel more informed. Specifically, now I know that the older Henry was very different from younger Henry. Um, which we will get into later, probably next episode. Um, but it wasn't until he was in his 40s that he like had that brutal authoritarian persona. Midlife crisis. <laughs> or like two-thirds life by mid- medieval standards. By sure. those standards, exactly. Um, so I guess, you know, I do want to put in a disclaimer that this is 500-year-old history. Okay. And not a lot of source material survives that long. And what does survive likely propaganda and gossip um because often historians are using letters to get all this information and it's good to keep in mind that letter writer was probably not impartial in any way so (laughs) um take everything you hear with a slight grain of salt and yeah we should get into it cool then uh teach me something cat they said the name of the thing (laughs) yeah we do that every time don't you listen to our podcast of course of course you do all the episodes Everyone, right? Of course. <laughs> so Henry was born June 28th, 1491, to who was the current English monarch, Henry VII, um, and his queen, Elizabeth of York. His dad was the first king in the House of Tudor, and Henry was their third child, but more importantly in that time, their second son. Um, so as a young child, he, he had quite an extensive resume. Henry Tudor, at the age of two, was appointed Constable of Dover Castle and Lord Warden of the Sink Ports. I don't think he was very good at that at the age of two, though. Well, we'll, well you've got to give him we'll a year or so. <laughs> we'll see right, how he does at the age of three. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. at the age of three, he's appointed Earl Marshal of England see, and Lord Lieutenant well of the Ireland. Simpsons. Yes. Soon after that, he was made a Knight of the Bath. No, not of Bath. Of the Bath. Okay? Okay. Um, then the day after the knighting ceremony, he was named Duke of York. Mm-hmm. And a month later, he was named Warden of the Scottish Marches. In May 19, or 1945, 1495, actually. <sighs> okay. Ooh, okay. He was appointed to the Order of the Garter. And then Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I made him a Knight of the Golden Fleece. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. So From I. Greece. Um, I think that was Burgundian, actually. Really? Yes, okay. I believe so. Well, I'll kind of explain it in a second, because I was curious about all these things. But um, why would you give so many titles to such a young child is the question. And the answer was probably so his father could retain personal control of all those lucrative positions and not have to share with other established families. Yeah. So 
I was wondering what the heck was up with all the night stuff. Like, the order of the guard. Like, what are these things? So, I found this. Quote, The Order of the Bath is the fourth most senior of the British orders of chivalry. After the most noble order of the garter, the most ancient and most noble order of the thistle, and the most illustrious order of St. Patrick, which is apparently dormant now. Um, And the whole order of the Golden Fleece thing, it's uh, been referred to as the most prestigious and historic order of chivalry in the world. Now that I think about it, I think it was Spanish, if I can recall correctly. Okay. Well, I mean, the Habsburgs own Spain and and Burgundy, so uh, I'm technically right. (laughs) (laughs) The best kind of correct. That's right. Um, beyond all those titles, um, not much is really known about Henry's early childhood because he wasn't the one expecting to become king. So no one cared as much to write down everything he did. Um, you had a brother named Arthur, am Second I son problems. You're correct. Prince okay. Arthur died at the age of 15, so he wasn't the second son for all that long. That was my next sentence, I was going to say, yeah. Nice. What was the got, age? It, got it in there real quick. <laughs> yeah. Henry, what was the age difference? Henry, when... <laughs> <laughs> and my sentence goes on to say, when Henry was just 10 years old. Hmm, there you go. There you go. We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but before Arthur dies, 20 weeks before, actually, he marries Catherine of Aragon. Oh. So, Catherine of Aragon, or Katharina, which is how she actually signs her name, so I'm going to call her that, uh, was born in 1485 to Isabella of Castile and Ferdinand of Aragon. And if those names sound familiar to you and you're mm-hmm. not an expert in history, it's probably because of the Spanish Inquisition. They were the monarchs that invited and facil- facilitated that whole terrible debacle. Yeah. They did call them the Catholic monarchs after all. <laughs> yeah. They lived up to that title. Sure did. Religion's so peaceful, guys. <laughs> um, so Princess Katharina had been engaged to Prince Arthur since she was three years old, uh, which was very important for England. Because at this time, it wasn't really an important country. Um, mm. And it also had been embroiled in civil wars for years. And to make everything worse, Henry VII had quite a debatable claim to the throne, which you're going to find out about in a sec here. Um, so needless to say, England and Henry VII really needed some strong allies like Spain. Um, so, debatable claim to the throne. Let's get into this. Uh, it's really important because it's the root of why Henry VII is concerned about making these good marriages for his children. And eventually it's going to be the reason why Henry VIII is so obsessed with producing a legitimate male heir. So at this point, I'm going to ask Warren to step in and he'll explain some things about the political climate at this point and give you some context. Uh, yeah, so what exactly was going on with the throne of England? All right, so... To really understand uh, the mindset that Henry VII was in and Henry VIII when he came to the throne, we have to understand the Civil War that they had just concluded, the Wars of the Roses. Now, to really understand the Wars of the Roses, we need to go back a couple hundred years to Edward III. <laughs> that's a lot. Oh, man, that's a lot of history we have to learn. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, we're, you know, you can, I could, like, start it off in 1455, but that's boring. Oh, Okay. <laughs> We don't so boring, we're going to so. start in the middle of the 14th century with Edward III. Okay. Now, it's funny because Henry VIII was desperate to get a male heir, but the Wars of the Roses was caused because Edward III was really good at having male heirs. <laughs> <laughs> Too good. They kind of flip-flopped on that issue there. Indeed, they did. He, in fact, had five adult sons, which was unheard of Ooh, at they the time. all made it to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Fancy. Uh, the problem with that was that when you have a lot of adult sons back in that time, you had to make sure they had land and titles and power. Otherwise, they would just, you know, go to war with you. As uh, I think Henry Henry I's sons, Richard the Lionheart, King John, and Joffrey did way back in the 12th century. Why have so, I heard of all of them but Joffrey? Is Joffrey not important? He's, he's not really that famous. Okay, good. He got, he got Normandy. Now I feel better about that. Oh, he got Normandy. Okay. Yeah, Richard got the Consolation Prize of England. Okay, yeah. So, anyways, back to uh, Edward III and his five sons. Uh, we're going to remember three of them because two of them are less important. Suck it. Those the two. most important yeah. sons were Edward the Black Prince, which was Edward III's oldest son and presumed heir. Uh, John of Gaunt which was made Duke of Lancaster, which we'll 
come again and be important. So remember sure. that. And Edmund uh, of Longley, Langley, Edmund of Langley, mm-hmm. who was made Duke of York. Ooh, just like Henry VIII was Duke of York. Indeed. It came around again. Is that a second son thing? The yeah. second sons get named Duke of York? Is Prince Harry Duke No, of Edward York? III just made it up. Wasn't Prince of Harry Duke of York? Could have been. It's I a pretty know. good title. I don't know. They're, I don't know what they're Dukes. I'm bad at knowing this. Let's let's proceed before I say more wrong things. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Now, um, the succession of Edward III. He was the king for quite a long time. And when he died, uh, he actually passed the throne down to his grandson, Richard, who was Edmund, Edward the Black Prince's son. Because Edward the Black Prince died before Edward III died. Mm. Okay. And when Richard II, as he was crowned, was made king, turned out that he wasn't very good at it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that story, yeah. And they, they gave Richard a good shot. They gave Richard a chance. Uh, but he promptly blew it because he was a dick. Mm. <laughs> so, Is that where the term dick comes from? Richard? <laughs> oh, like, I mean, it could. That's a nickname for Richard, right? Much, pretty yeah, much could have yeah. been. Hmm. Okay. So. Let's start rumors. <laughs> yes. A few hundred years late, but that's okay. We can do it. <laughs> when kings are dicks, uh, rebellions happen. Yes. And one particular rebellion was led by one Henry Bolingbroke. And I should preface this by saying there's going to be a lot of Henrys, a lot of Richards, and a lot of Edwards in this story. So. So many Henry. Please, please try to keep them straight as best you can. Henry Bolingbroke was. The son of John of Gaunt, and had a claim to the throne through that, and going up to Edward III, who again started all of these problems by having too many sons. Mm-hmm. So Henry Bolingbroke showed up in England, deposed Richard, killed him, mm. and became Henry IV. Now this is notable for a couple reasons. Uh, firstly, it's the first Lancastrian. You know, remember John mm-hmm. of Gaunt was the Duke of Lancaster. Yeah. Thus, uh, uh, Lancastrians. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. Uh, and secondly, because Henry wasn't just a rebel, he was a guy who had a claim to the throne, it introduced the idea of the violent overthrow of the king, I'm going to kill you and be king sort of thing. Like Should, that wasn't really a concept beforehand. Not, not really. Usually it was, you know, I'm going to, the king is sacrosanct, God's messenger, I'm going to get rid of the, all the king's advisors. Who are giving him bad advice. Oh, the king was kind of untouchable before this. Sort of, yeah. Okay. Much and more untouchable, at least. Indeed, indeed. Okay. And because uh, Henry had a claim to the throne, he was like, whatever, I'm just going to kill him. Okay. And he did. Got it. Now, we're going to skip forward a little bit. Uh, Henry IV had a son, also named Henry, who became Henry V. You'll this be is logical. Yeah, got it. Um, the only thing I really want to say about Henry V is that he was really good at war. Hmm. Specifically, he was really good at beating the shit out of the French. Mm. Oh, yes, yes. He yes. was only king for, I think, about ten years, but he captured a tremendous amount of French land in that ten years. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I definitely read about him in that book, A Thousand Years of Annoying the French. Yeah, he's yeah, very he, he really he annoyed, annoyed the them. French. <laughs> he really annoyed them. Okay. And then, of course, Henry V had a son, also named Henry, who became, shockingly... Henry VI. Yes. Shocking. Shocking. Now, Henry VI was not very much like his father. He was an intellectual. Not good at war. No. Definitely not a general, not a warrior, not very charismatic. Um, He liked learning. He was sort of timid, pushed around easily. And uh, that was a problem for kings in those days because it meant that there was a power vacuum and a lot of political jockeying. Sure. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of political jockeying as Henry VI grew older and everyone started to realize that he was kind of a dumbass, sort of, between his wife, Margaret, and a fellow called Richard of York. Hmm. Who, was a Duke, who was a Duke of... Lancaster. <laughs> oh, I thought we were answering legitimately. You're joking, and I'm giving a real answer. I guess so. Uh, that was indeed the real answer. Okay. Yes, shockingly, Richard of York was the Duke of York, and again, 
descended from Edward III through Edmund of Langley, another one of those sons Mm -hmm. that he had. So we've got parallel claims to the throne, basically going all the way back to having too much sons. Exactly. Okay. So by this point, the war in France is not going well because Henry is not the man his father is, and he wasn't capable of leading troops or assigning good generals, I guess, and the French also kind of got their their shit together. And this was really just the beginning of Henry's problems as a ruler. Uh, He had domestic issues. His nobles didn't really like him all that much. And eventually, all this culminated in another one of Henry's big problems, which is that he was uh, bound to lapse into bouts of insanity. Oh, that doesn't usually go well for too many people. No. No, it's not a, not a good factor in a king. Okay. So Henry had one of these breakdowns in 1453. Is he the one that thought he was made of glass every once in a while? No, I think that was uh, one of the Louis. Okay. Hmm. Who was also prone to madness. I mean, there were several monarchs in Europe who did this. Spain also Probably had the one. Incest. But also, apparently, yeah, there's help. this whole mass delusion thing. At the time, it was just in vogue that... You know how schizophrenics have the tinfoil hat, whatever, these days? Mm -hmm. Being made of glass was a popular delusion for the mentally ill. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. Mass psychogenic illness. That is another episode. (laughs) We should get going with this one. Yeah, we'll continue here first, though. Okay, Uh, so, yes, Henry had a mental breakdown, and who should emerge as regent in that time but Richard. He won the battle for power of regency. Which basically means that you were king, quote-unquote king. But just not really, because you don't have, like... You're not crowned, but yeah. you're in charge of everything. But you run everything. Right. So, Richard, while he was a regent, proceeded to uh, be as nepotistic as possible and make sure that the people who liked him got offices, titles, land, and power. And it was all well and good for him until a couple years later, in 1455, when Henry VI woke up one day, was like oh, this is bad, and promptly kick Richard out of the throne. Okay. okay. He just came back to his sanity. Yeah, I just woke up one day and was totally cool. Great. Okay. This makes sense. Um, Richard was afraid that this demotion would also come with a beheading. That seems like a reasonable thing to be worried about. It was definitely a reasonable thing to be worried about in that time. So he gathered up an army, and he met King Henry VI in battle, Uh, In 1455, Um, this is traditionally cited as the start of the Wars of the Roses between the Yorkists, who were led by Richard, and the Lancastrians, who were led by Henry VI. So, you keep saying Wars of the Roses. So what you're saying is that it was uh, a, a series of battles that were all part of the same war, but... They weren't... It was more like a series of wars. Okay. Like, like they for went, long time periods in, in between, or... Yes. Okay. Um, in fact, the next battle between them wouldn't be until 1459, when Henry proceeded to piss off a bunch of Yorkist allies, who then took the opportunity to fight some more battles. Mm-hmm. Um, they went back and forth for about a year until the Battle of Northampton in 1460, uh, which saw the Lacastrians get their asses kicked. Mm-hmm. And Henry VI was captured by Richard. Hmm. Richard yeah. then was like, fuck being a regent, I want to be actual king. Yeah. He went down to London, but they refused to make him king. Oh. And he was, was like... Hen- oh, did he... Uh, oh, was the current sad. king still alive at that point? He was still alive, Okay, yes. well, that can be problematic to being crowned, I suspect. Didn't help, but as we will see in just a little bit, it's not impossible. Oh. So, in late 1460, Richard, who was uh, by this point still in a firm grasp of England, um, was stuck in a castle with a bunch of Lancastrian forces surrounding him. Now, what one would might do at that time would be to set out a siege, see if you could get some allies on the way, and uh, hold out for better days. Richard deciding to be spontaneous, Hmm. sallied out to meet his numerically superior foe and promptly died. That happens. Sure. That hubris. That hubris. 
It was a curious move for a man who usually had a pretty smart way of doing things. So, after Richard died, his son Edward, here's an Edward for you, okay, uh, took up the Yorkist cause and became the new leader of the Yorkist faction, if you will. Um, Henry VI escaped from captivity in early 1461, and Edward won a few more battles, then went down to London to see if he could become king. And for okay. some reason... That worked this time. Oh. Are we still at the stage where there's that thing that's called the Witten Gamut that, like, appoints people that can be kings and stuff? I don't think so. Okay. That's not Wasn't a thing that, anymore? But didn't that die with the Anglo-Saxons? Why are you asking me? I've already introduced you as, like, <laughs> the well, I expert. Just, I, I Maybe. It doesn't I, mean I, I know everything. I asked everything, you a question. Okay. Unknown. The question is unknown. Yeah, that sounds pretty Anglo-Saxon to me. Which was not a I thing. I mean, it by was a point. thing in the in in the episode about how William became king of England way back in the Conqueror days. Well, that, that was that was a the, long time that was ago. The transition, so that's yes. why I'm asking you questions. Yeah. Okay. Um, good question, though. Thank you. <laughs> so Edward became king. Uh, I tried to figure out why he got to be king and Richard didn't. Um, looking into it, it looks like. You know, no, it's really funny because when I was doing research on this, I was reading the Wikipedia article on it, and uh, right after they talk about Edward becoming king, they talk about how uh, handsome and strong and tall he was. So I think he became king because he was hot, better looking. Probably sure. just had some charisma. Probably was like, I will represent you from well, being hot. You know yeah. it. Yes, yeah, exactly. I think I think that had a lot to do with it. So okay, Edward enough. was crowned as Edward the Fourth. Now we had two kings of England, basically. Yeah, both crowned. Both uh, unwilling to step down. And, of course, both wanting to kill each other very, very much. Mm-hmm. This seems like a perfect circumstance for them having that desire. So, in March of 1461, they had another battle called the Battle of Towton, uh, which was fought for 10 hours between an estimated 50,000 soldiers in a snowstorm on Palm Sunday. This battle is often cited as one of the bloodiest in English history. Um, around 10,000 soldiers died. Died. That's not what so that... So there's probably more casualties. That's not what that U2 song is about. No. <laughs> no. It's not a Sunday, yes. Bloody no. Sunday. No. There was no. a different Bloody Sunday. Yeah, that was yes. about a rebellion of the Irish in it the makes 20th more sense century. That, it makes more sense okay, yeah. that it was about the Irish if it's U2, but I was just, yes. I was just checking. You said okay. Bloody and Sunday. And I was like, All oh. in the same sentence. You know what? It's yeah. always good to check. I appreciate it. <laughs> True. Okay. So basically, um, Yorkus won that again. They were on a roll. And Henry and his wife, Margaret, decided that uh, England was a bad place to be, and they promptly got the fuck out. Mm-hmm. While retaining the crown, I assume, or one of the two crowns, basically. Well, I mean, he was a he was technically the king of England. Yeah. But, um, you know, there was another king of England who had a bigger army. And who was currently now in England. Right. Whereas that he wasn't. That helped. Yeah. So... In, in 1464, there was another attempt by the Lancastrians to try to get the throne back, uh, which ended in Henry VI being captured yet again, which I believe is the third time he was captured, um, because he was really good at being taken prisoner. And you know what? When you're good sure. at something, you should just keep doing it. Yeah, Practice. Just ask Princess Peach. <laughs> yeah, she's done it for years. Yeah. Sure Henry VI talent. being Princess Peach and, and Edward IV <laughs> being Bowser. Yeah. That... Uh, it's quite the bit. Mm-hmm. It's a good bit. I like yeah, that bit. So we'll skip forward a few years to 1470. Uh, now in 1470, uh, Edward had been king unopposed for a while, um, but he had committed a series of dumb boneheaded blunders, which included marrying for love, which was a big Ooh. problem at the time. Mm. Yeah. And estranging several of his key advisors uh, who had fought and died to like get him onto the throne. And this was commonly known as a bad move. Right. Mm-hmm. And since there's another, you know, crowned king of England they Someone could go get. To support, yeah. Mm-hmm. That might be bad. Indeed. And you're quite right. A lot of them switched sides. Sure. So in 1470, they were like, hey, maybe we should get this other guy back. And Edward, realizing that his goose was a little bit cooked, decided that he was going to flee England now as Aww. Henry VI, uh, you know, was restored. Okay. He had been prisoner. The Lycastrians came back, got him out of prison. He was king again. Cool. Sure. It lasted for a year. 
Okay. Dang. <laughs> and by fourteen seventy one, everyone was like, "Oh, this is why he wasn't a good king." Right. So and they looked back at that Edward guy again. Exactly. So Edward came back. Everyone switched sides, and they were like, "Edward's cool." And by this point, uh, Henry VI was taken prisoner oh. yet again, which oh. I believe is the fourth time. If you're good at it, you know, make a career of it then. So there were a couple more major battles in 1471 as Edward cemented his uh, hold on the English monarchy, uh, the Battle of Barnet, which were saw a lot of casualties for Lancastrians yet again, and the Battle of Tewkesbury in May, in which the Yorkists won another major victory. Important thing about that victory is that Henry VI's son died. Oh. So now he had he no the more only son? Yeah, He okay. was the only son, yeah. Um, later that month, Edward got tired of taking Henry the pr- prisoner, and he uh, mysteriously died in prison in May of 1471. I was wondering sure. why that took so long, to be honest. They had a thing about killing kings. So... It wasn't really ever official that Edward had him killed, but, you know, when someone mysteriously dies in prison, there's only a few other conclusions you can draw. Sure. Especially if it's, like, death by, like, dagger or something like that. Indeed. And by this point, uh, Edward had fought a lot of wars, uh, England had gone through a lot of civil strife, and everybody was cool to just chill for a bit. Yeah, okay. I expect they were probably feeling pretty poor so at that time, too. Edward's Indeed. the king. Edward is the king. Until 1483, when he fought the greatest rebellion of all, death. Mm. He didn't win that one. Okay. Always look on the bright (laughs) side of death. Well, the bright side for Edward was that he did have a son, also Mm -hmm. named Edward. Shocking, I know. Who became Edward V. Uh, Unfortunately, though, he was a young lad. Mm. And because he was a young lad, that meant regency. Regents. And who should become regent but Edward IV's younger brother... Richard. Again, there's just Richard Edwards and Henry's in this story. So Richard became regent, and then he said, oh wait, uh, Edward IV's marriage uh, didn't actually count, so therefore his children are bastards, so therefore I should be king. That's a common strategy. That for love thing. Yeah, that was a real problem. One of the many blunders of Edward IV. I assume that when you say married for love, meaning somebody who was not necessarily... uh, noble enough in stature to that's support yes. a royal line. Indeed, that is exactly what I mean. She was a minor noble, not a major noble. Yeah. Which was a big no-no. Wow. I mean, flashing forward to Henry VIII, he's going to do that a lot, so... He also had a good a good uh, guillotine on his hands, which is not something they had... Necess- well, I don't think they had invented the guillotine it yet. Wasn't but- the, it wasn't a guillotine. Mm-hmm. He did like to kill people, though. In lots of yeah. ways. Which helped his, we'll talk, we'll uh, helped his arguments. <laughs> helped his arguments, we can just sure. say. Yeah. It was very definitive. <laughs> Hard to be more definitive than cutting someone's head off. That is true. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Richard's regent, uh, and he had uh, Edward V and his younger brother, who was also named Richard, mm. thrown into the Tower of London. They were commonly known as the princes in the Tower, and they also mysteriously disappeared. Yes. Once you do it once, it gets easier. Uh, having been to Tower of London, I remember on the tour where they show us the uh, prison cell for the princes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were quite famous. Yeah. Still quite famous, if they're showing them off on tours, I guess. Yeah. Okay, but like, Henry was born in 1491 when his dad was the king, so a lot of stuff must have gone down between that and, yeah, in very quick time period. Not that much stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff. It's history. But, like, <laughs> in terms of my notes, I'm getting to the end. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. So after Richard had thrown the princes into the tower, um, this upset a lot of people because, you know, it was a pretty naked power grab. How dare they? Yes. Yeah. The audacity. So a bunch of new rebellions popped up. Uh, one of them was led by young Henry Tudor, who you have mentioned previously, Melissa who had a claim to the throne through his mother, Margaret Beaufort. Beaufort? Beaufort? I'm bad at French names. Yeah. Something like that. It would be Beaufort if it's French, but it could be anything. So anyways, she was, um, I think, a granddaughter? Yes, a granddaughter of the originator of the Lancastrian line, John of Gaunt. Okay. 
So that was how Henry Tudor had a claim to the throne. Now, pretty I don't know loosely if, now, we've gone a number yes. of generations back from... Well, it was through a woman, too, which was never good. Right. Of course. It still existed, though. Okay. So he landed in Wales in 1485, helped along by the French, because they loved meddling in English politics. Sure. Which, you know, everybody did at the time. You hate your neighbors, support their rebels, yeah, pay for their invasions, all that kind of stuff. Of course. So Henry landed in Wales in 1485, and he met Richard in battle at the Battle of Bosworth Field in 1485. And during the battle, uh, Richard was killed, thus making him the loser. That, that is how it works. Yeah. yeah. Usually. You don't typically win those ones. No. No. It was a bad time for him. Uh, he became the last English monarch to die in battle. Yet. So far. Well, something tells so me could, Charles is going to there fighting a battle. Mm, you never really know. Right. I think okay. I do know. I do know Charles <laughs> okay. will not die in battle. But yeah. I know this very strongly. I'm psychic, you see. We never know what will happen in the future, though, so there could be another one. <laughs> there, yeah. there could be another one. Yeah. Or so, the roses, too. <laughs> Speaking of, Electric are roses yeah. involved at some point? Yeah, I mean, yes. So the symbol of the Lancastrian house was a red rose, and the symbol of the Yorkist house was a white rose. That's why they call it the Wars of the Roses. Right. Okay. I probably should have led with that, but... That's okay. Uh, I'm here to This is a good reveal. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. The twist turned towards the end. That's how most movies work. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, you know, uh, as Melissa mentioned, uh, Henry VII, who was... Henry Tudor became Henry VII, and then he married Elizabeth, who was Edward IV's daughter. This, of course, united the two ca- sure. claims... Can't talk claims, uh, because, you know, Henry was of the Lancasters, Elizabeth of the Yorks, and then they became the Tudors, whose symbol became a white and red rose, as a symbol of their combined dynasty. Why did they just make pink rose? White and red make pink. That was too complicated. Pink was a manly color back in the day. Okay. True. Yeah. So, that's the end of the Wars of the Roses, officially. Uh, The Battle of Bosworth Field in 1485 is seen as the... Uh, end of the conflict, at which point King Henry VII had to fight a couple more Irkis rebellions and basically set to trying to restore the kingdom after sure. the, what are we at now, 30 years of civil on and off civil war. Right. And as a summary, we're basically left at a king that doesn't really have a great claim, but everybody's willing to like stop fighting for a while. Well, after he killed a, a few more Yorkists anyways. Sure. Yeah. And he was pretty desperate because, like, by this point, the idea of violently overthrowing the monarch had been going on for, again, 30 years. Yeah. So alliances and powerful, you know, consolidating the power of the monarchy was very, very important. Yeah, makes sense. Which is a great jumping off point into my next issue, consolidating the power of the monarchy, because another reason Henry VII wanted his son betrothed to Katharina is that Isabella of Castile, who is, if you'll remember, Katharina's mother, actually had a more legitimate claim to the throne than Henry did. It wasn't, like, super good, but it was slightly more legitimate than his claim. Yes. Um, because they were both ascended from John of Gaunt, that person that Warren <laughs> just said a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, but Isabella's ancestors were legitimate children of John. Henry's ancestors were also legitimate children of John, but they started out as illegitimate and they had to be illi- or they had to be legitimized by the church later when John finally married their mother. So slightly it hurts your claim strength a bit. Well, yeah. yeah, apparently it does. That's what we're learning. Um, oh, and Katharina comes with a hefty dowry. So that didn't mm-hmm. hurt either as reasoning because after all those wars, that. you're usually poor. Indeed. Real poor. Yeah. So, Katharina came over to England when she was 15. So, that's 1501. And the people just loved her. Like, right away, she was pretty and she was friendly and she really tried hard to embrace the culture and customs. And she gets married to Arthur November 4th of that year. Um, And now, whether they consummated the marriage before Arthur dies in 1502 is a huge topic of debate still to this day. And if you're wondering why people are so passionately arguing over the virginity of two teenagers, well, 
You'll find that out when we get closer to the end of Katharina's story. I bet I know why. Uh, I kind of hope you do, because otherwise, you, what kind of expert would you be? Why would super I have invited you? I'm a you? super good expert. <laughs> hmm. So, anyways, Arthur's dead. And Henry VII doesn't want to give up that huge dowry. And his alliance, you know. Sure. So, first he thinks, I'm going to marry her myself. Mm-hmm. My wife just died. What, why not? Um, but that would have been culturally taboo. Not because he would be a man in his 40s marrying a teenager. But because that's it fine. was his son's wife? Because she was his daughter. That's how they thought of things back then. Oh, as soon as you okay. marry him, you are now in the position of daughter. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it would have been incest. Mm. Wait. Yeah, they weren't but, but, she, that but she's about to marry ways. the other... The next line I wrote said, apparently it was less of an incest issue to marry your brother, though, because Isabella and Henry VII negotiated the marriage of Catherine to Henry VIII instead. So, sister is okay. Daughter is not. Um, sister is not okay still, but it's more well, okay. okay. So they still, had to, okay. they still had to go to the Pope and get a special dispensation from Pope Julius II so that brother and sister could marry. Okay. So, no, it still wasn't okay, but if the Pope said it was okay, it was okay, you know? Sure. Yeah. Sure. That was how a lot of arguments ended back then. <laughs> so go, go ask the Pope? Yeah, if the Pope said it's okay, then you're fine. It's okay. okay. Sure. Um, I sure hope the Pope was, like, really not good at being bribed and, you know, those types of things. <laughs> that time? I'm hoping he had no corruption mm. whatsoever, because... Mm-hmm. I mean, this is very good mm-hmm. foreshadowing for things that would happen later in Henry VIII's oh, life. Strange. So, they agree on a marital treaty in 1503... And unfortunately for Katharina, the next year, 1504, her mom dies. Hmm. And that's bad. Because her father was just real busy trying to seize control of all Isabella's stuff. And fighting with Henry VII over Katharina's dowry, which he doesn't want to give her. Well, give him. him. Yeah. Um, so basically, Katharina was left to fend for herself. Her dad just ignored all the will and stuff that was supposed to go to her from Isabella because he just wanted it. So she was, you know penniless. She had to go pawn her jewelry and household goods in order to pay all of her servants. I see. And, you know, buy buy food and clothes. No, you can't do that. So she scraped by like that for years until Henry VII dies in 1509. Now, Henry VIII is almost 18 years old at this point, and he became the King of England. Um, Katharina is 23. She is a penniless, powerless widow. Her household starts to pack up to go home to Spain. They're assuming this new king's gonna, you know, he's king now. He'll pick a different bride. This this was this was different before. Now, you know, sure. they're gonna kick us out. They're not gonna honor this contract um, because you know they did have that treaty, but no one's gonna force. Like, how are they gonna enforce that, right? Hard to sue a king. <laughs> exactly. But the Pope said so. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. it still the Pope at that time? They died. They died pretty fast back yeah. in the day. And okay. Henry VIII doesn't like to listen to the. Pope. I'm just kidding. At this point, he does. Let's yeah, not. I was say, let's true. not. He's, he started being very devoutly very yeah. Catholic. So to everyone's surprise, though, Henry VIII romantically rides to Katharina's rescue and declares his father wanted him to marry her after all, so that's what he was going to do. Everyone else said, I don't think that's right. He's like, no, no, he told me on his deathbed. He totally, we can't change his mind. He totally wanted me to marry you. He said that on his deathbed. Totally, guys. Believe me. Anyways, didn't matter. He was going to do it. Well, she was good um, looking, right? Is what we said. She was pretty, but I'm like, there's nothing describing her as more pretty exotic. than, yeah, yeah there okay. you go. Um, he saved her and she loved him for that. Like, it's very clear through everything we had that she was like passionately devoted to Henry. She really loved him. And for a long time, it seemed like he really loved her. Like they had a love match and a political alliance. Like it seemed sure. great. It's a good fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at this time though, in Henry's life, it's quite easy to see why Katharina might have loved him. He was handsome, genial. He was rational. Above all, people described him how rational he was. Uh, he was described as having incredible physical beauty. He had red hair, very fair skin, and a face as, quote, lovely as that of a pretty woman. <laughs> <laughs> he was also tall nice. for his time. He was well over six feet tall. He was muscular, athletic. Um, okay, this is fun. So here is a note written in 1531. So this is, you know, in the future, but I wanted to include it in this section because Henry wasn't crazy yet. So this still applies. And it was written mm. by a Venetian ambassador to England. 
Mm-hmm. And I just think it's just more flattering than any love note I've ever sure. <laughs> written. So, quote, In the eighth Henry, such beauty of mind and body is combined as to surprise and astonish. Grand stature suited to his exalted position, showing the superiority of mind and character, a face like an angel's so fair is it. He is accomplished in every, every manly exercise, sits his horse well, tilts with his lance, throws the quat, I don't know what that is, shoots with his bow excellent well. He is a fine tennis player, and he practices all these gifts with the greatest industry. Such a prince could not fail to have cultivated also his character and his intellect. He has been a student since his childhood. He knows literature, philosophy, and theology, speaks and writes Spanish, French, and Italian besides Latin and English. He's kind, gracious, courteous, liberal, especially to men of learning, whom he is always ready to help. He appears religious also, generally hears two masses a day, and on holy days, high mass besides. He is very charitable, giving away 10,000 gold ducats annually among orphans, widows, and cripples. Well. End quote. Must have been negotiating a trade deal. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> sounds like someone was trying to butter up I a I mean, he didn't send it to here. Henry. He sent it to Ven- uh, Venice. Oh, oh. It was the Venetian ambassador to England note back to Venice about meeting Oh, King so he'd just King been bribed. Henry. I get it. Okay. I don't know. Something <laughs> happened. <laughs> Maybe that dude just fell in love. Uh, that That's possible, too. Oh, so, nice. as you can see, you know, he was an active man, stayed fit. He was attractive until his 40s when he started having pain and issues and didn't exercise as much anymore. And, again, that letter showed us, you know, he was smart, devoted to the church. He was a well-respected, uh, well-respected thinker. He wrote a book in 1521, which ironically was defending Catholicism from Martin Luther's criticisms, mm, yeah. called Assertio Septum Sacramentorum, which is the defense of the seven sacraments. Um, so as a young man, he was not a ruthless zealot, okay? He was okay. logical. He was Catholic, <laughs> very yep. devoutly Catholic. Popophile uh, at that point. Yeah, like, as you, do. you know, yeah. he knew all these pursuits. Everyone loved him. Um, he apparently used to really like debating, uh, especially about theology. Mm. And, and Erasmus, I don't know if you've heard of him. He was like yeah, a, a Dutch philosopher. philosopher. Yeah. yeah. Um, said that Henry is a universal genius. He never neglects his studies. And whenever he has leisure from his political occupations, he reads or disputes of which he is very fond with remarkable courtesy and unruffled temper. What I'm trying to say is he was famous for keeping his temper. Sure. Even when people were disagreeing with him constantly through debate. I'm trying to portray how different he is from the man that he will later be. Got it. Um, he learned mathematics, engineering, and astronomy. Uh, he spoke multiple languages. He proved how much he valued learning and knowledge because he was the one that established the Royal College of Physicians and founded Regius Professorships in Medicine, Divinity, Hebrew, Greek, and Civil Law at Oxford and Cambridge. That's still there to this day because apparently that's how it works in England. They create these positions that the monarch has to appoint this professor at this school. So even to this day, Charles is now responsible for appointing these positions. I Mm. doubt he does it himself, but you know what I mean? That's still a thing in England. Well, it's akin to all of the, was it, um, the royals have a, a marker, a brand that they give to the official, um, like, products oh, that they like endorse. That endorsements. Thing, when it used to be, yeah. used to mean something. Yeah, but they still do it today. I and, think it, and they, I think it was just and, called a patent, a royal yeah. patent. And the royal monarch, now that one has passed away, they have to either decide to keep him or yeah. reissue Choose a, whole a new bunch. toilet yeah. paper pen and a new paper <laughs> towel pen. Yeah. Anyways, um, he was also apparently an amazing musician. He could play several instruments. He sang beautifully. He composed his own music. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's just amazing, ridiculously amazing, gifted at everything. Probably he's got a bit of an ego because look how amazing he is, and everyone would have told him he was so amazing, right? So there is that. Um, ego, but also no one's perfect. He did have a few vices, one which was gambling. Okay. Um, he frequently lost huge amounts of money on cards or dice, but he was a good loser. He didn't ever retaliate against anyone. He just gave them his stuff. He even played with members of his staff. He played cards for decades with his sergeant of the cellar. I assume that cellar as in like the food stocks? No, the, the guy who lives in the basement. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what all these positions in the royal household do. Usually they're gnomes, but... You know. <laughs> right. Dwarves, if they're deep enough. Yeah. And yeah. as you can imagine, 
he liked to woo the ladies. Sure. He's kind of gained the reputation of a playboy who slept around, but that's not true at all. He was, at least he thought of himself, as a genuine romantic. He kind of came on too strong sometimes, but he wanted to love a woman. He wanted to get her gifts and write her poetry. He liked courting and wooing and all that stuff. Um, he liked to, yeah, he liked to quote... Just not always to his wife. Sure. <laughs> He, he liked to believe that the heart was always present in the bedroom, he said. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyways. Very classy. Now on to the serious stuff. <laughs> Henry VIII really wants a male heir to the throne, and so does everyone else. Because please, mm-hmm. let's not redo what just happened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, please, one male heir to the throne. Well, usually <laughs> you want two. An heir and a spare. Right. Yeah, because That's they're going to die. But not an heir, a spare, a spare, a spare, a spare, and a spare. Yeah, five is too much. Yeah. yeah. Straight out. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you've gone past three. <laughs> that's straight out, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, that's a sign maybe you keep it in the pants a little bit. Okay. At so, least until the next son dies. Right. So Katharina becomes pregnant very shortly after the wedding. Um, but unfortunately, she gave birth to a stillborn baby girl in 1510. Now... That's not exactly unusual for the time period, you know, absence of prenatal care and hygiene and nutrition and doctors and pregnancies at this time only had about 50% chance of going to term. Which makes it even more remarkable that Edward III had five adult sons. That's true. How many not adult children? (laughs) How many were failed? You know, it must have been a lot. I didn't count. To be honest, I didn't count. But you know what? That was the roll of the dice, baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, about four months after the stillbirth, Katharina becomes pregnant again. She now gives birth to a boy. On New Year's Day, 1511, they name this boy Henry. Oh. He dies. Shocking. Shocking, yeah. Yeah. He dies February 22nd for an unknown reason. Mm. Hmm. But, sorry, was that just a few months apart? Like, he had only made it a few months. He had only made it a few months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Katharina was pregnant again in 1513, possibly pregnant one other time before that, which ended in miscarriage, but unconfirmed. The 1513 pregnancy ends up in another stillbirth, a boy this time. In 1515, she gives birth to another boy who was alive, but who, quote, lived not long after. Yeah. Apparently, you know, this wasn't unheard of, though. You know, all that incest. So, 19% of first marriages among the nobility in this era didn't produce any living children. Wow. 19%. 19%. 29% had no male heirs. 48% of second marriages were childless. 58% of second marriages produced no male heir. So, (laughs) doctors, medicine. (laughs) Yeah, none of that. No. So, February 18th. 1516 is the day Katharina finally gives birth to a child that's going to survive to adulthood. Yay. It was a girl. Oh. <laughs> exactly. A girl named Mary, who, by the way, would go on to be called Bloody Mary because of how many Protestants she's going to execute. But that's well in the future, and sure. we're not even going to approach it. Um, she's going to live up to her potential, though. <laughs> yeah, right. Everyone was really relieved there was a finally, you know, a healthy child. I know you said boo, and they also thought boo, but also yay, because, okay, at least this means Katharina can have healthy children. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get one. Right. This is like some time Later. delay. You gotta get your batting average up and, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So in 1517, there's another rumor that the queen lost a pregnancy, but not confirmed. In 1518, however, she was definitely pregnant again with a baby girl who died shortly after she was born. That was the last of Katharina's pregnancies. How many did we get up to there? Did um, you count all of them? Uh, it feels like a lot. It, it, it like comes lot. up in one of my episodes, but I think it was like six for sure and eight potentials, something like that, hmm. with one baby that survived longer than two months. Even for the times, I feel like that was a low average, but I don't know. It's real bad. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in the third episode about what could have been wrong with Henry. Oh, so we're just setting up, you know, nice threads to... Real bad. Mm -hmm. I love all this foreshadowing. This whole episode is just foreshadowing. Yeah, the next two. (laughs) So Henry's not done, of course, trying for an heir just because Katharina's not getting pregnant. In 1519, Henry's long-term mistress, Bessie Blunt, gives birth to a healthy baby boy. (gasps) So, Henry names the boy Henry. 
Of course. Henry Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. And publicly acknowledges him as a royal offspring. Queen Catherine must have felt really great about that. Sure. I mean, you know, it's not like her kid was Henry and he died. That would have been, been You know tough. why they called him Fitzroy? Uh, nope. Why? So Fitz is the term for bastard. Oh, and Roy is king. Is and Roy is French for king. Huh. He's the bastard king. Indeed. Okay. okay, cool. So many historians think that Henry VIII starred an affair with Mary Boleyn, um, Anne Boleyn's older sister, in 1522. Some think that they were doing something. Of course, they were associating a lot, but they weren't sexually involved. Um, mainly because if they were, why didn't this come up during Henry and Katharina's very acrimonious, let's call them, divorce proceedings? Because it didn't come out in any trial. No one said something about incest. Anyways, <laughs> you know how a, it is. Which was a hit topic in the day. Right. Yeah. By the way, just fun fact, Mary Boleyn was also the former mistress of the French king. Sure. She got herself into some positions of power. One of, one of, of power. the Louis. Yeah. One, oh, yeah, one of them. But. Yeah. Um, the strongest evidence in support that they actually did have an affair uh, is that in 1527, Henry asked for a dispensation from the Pope, allowing him to marry any woman he chose, quote, even if she were related to him within the prohibited degrees of affinity. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it might happen. Just... So can you say yes, no matter what? This sounds like a cir- circumstance a where you're supposed to like... Uh... Right, because like, if he was with Mary, then Nan's his sister, right? So right. Mm, incest. But brother and sister, not so bad. We've already learned that, so I don't know why, what he's so worried That's about. True. Um, it's likely that this close association with Mary, though, whatever it consisted of, is how he noticed Anne. Sure. And as for Katharina, it's reported that Henry stops having sex with her by 1524. Um, maybe it appears she actually went into a very early menopause in her late 30s. Oh. So um, they knew that there'd be no more pregnancies or maybe he was just over it. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what was going on, but... This lack of healthy male offspring is what's going to lead to Henry's great matter, is what it's called. Mm. They were very good at naming things back in the day. I was going to say, the name is so... Yeah. Pompous? (laughs) It's something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In 1527, Henry begins trying to get his marriage to Katharina annulled. On the premise, at this point, that marrying your brother's wife is forbidden in Leviticus. After all, at this point, Henry's a devout Catholic, follows Leviticus. He's and divorce is not allowed, by the way. Yeah, that's right. why you have to do an Which annulment. Why, yeah, it has to be an annulment. Yeah, like it just never counted because it never counted in the yeah. first place. That's why yeah. when I was never saying divorce it. earlier, I used air quotes. Didn't all you podcast listeners hear that? I'm just <laughs> repeating it. Air yes, quotes, divorce. Yeah. So Katharina really saw through this ruse. She's like, no, you. Clearly, are just trying to justify getting rid of me for a younger queen. Like, yeah. duh, I don't believe this reason that you're giving. Um, she was also upset because she really still loved him. Like, she took care of him. She sewed his shirts. She nursed him. She did all of the things that wife, like a close wife would do. They just weren't having sex anymore. Um, she was also mad because if her marriage to Henry was annulled, then her daughter, Mary, becomes illegitimate. Which means that she is definitely out of the secession. I mean, it would yes. have been hard enough to put a woman in there before, but now, <laughs> illegitimate one, that's not happening. No. So, not even a little bit. Henry had become just infatuated with Ambla at this point. Katharina wasn't going to change his mind. He was infatuated with, you know, she would give him the son that he needed. So Anne Boleyn herself has been really depicted through history as a homewrecker and a calculating Jezebel who manipulates Henry and destroys his family and encourages all of his eventual sure. cruelty. I mean, kings are um, pretty good at destroying their families by themselves. Let's right. Get real. Yeah, but right. they're male and she's female. So that's true. How that's is history going to look back on this? <laughs> well, that is a big part of it. And the other thing is that how can we really know what she was like? Everyone writing about her had a huge agenda. Uh, like... True, another good point. Like, the Catholics were hostile toward Anne Boleyn, for good reason, as you'll see, because she was a reformer. They wrote scathing things about her and Henry. If you talk to a Catholic, she was the devil, right? Mm-hmm. But then, if you were, like, were a reformer or supporter of religious reform, then they wrote nice things about her. You know, like, there was, like, this, who knows what she was really like, right? Mm-hmm. Most of what we know about Henry's court 
during this time was from letters written by Eustache Chapoise. Chapoise? I don't know how you say this guy's name, but he was one of Queen Catherine's most faithful, faithful supporters and the Spanish ambassador appointed by Catherine's nephew, Charles the First of Spain and other titles, which we'll talk about. He had a lot. I mean, you were talking at the start of the episode about all of Henry's titles, but uh, nobody mm-hmm. could match Charles. I'm only going to mention one more title. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to, you could go into it because that guy was... Was he one of the Holy Roman Empire yes, emperors? Which, yeah, which, okay, which is the yeah. other and also the King mention. of Spain. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Those so, are two pretty good titles <laughs> in that in that time period. The best titles. Yeah. So all all these letters, Chapoise is trying to convince everyone that Anne's the devil because he was actually asking Charles to invade England, remove Henry as king, appoint Mary on the throne. <laughs> So, so yeah, he had his biases. Is what I'm trying to say here. Sure, indeed. Um, certainly, Anne was charismatic. Probably flirtatious, and she's a woman. Those things, you really, know, just come into. It just turns charisma into seduction. You know, people in yeah. people's mm-hmm. minds. If you're a woman, charisma is seduction, and you're clearly trying to manipulate men or whatever. Clearly, clearly. Um, but there was literally no evidence she ever had premarital or extramarital sexual relations. Even though that is what she'll end up grappling with at the end of her life. <laughs> right. Um. Anyways, so Anne Boleyn secures a great match in Henry, obviously. She's not that noble either. Which means that... Kings are good guts. Are, are you suggesting that he got his annulment? <gasps> Spoilers? Yeah. Oh. Uh, got it? <laughs> Took it? Uh, we'll get there. So Earned I'm trying it. to skip ahead <laughs> of the story. It. Yeah, work real hard. But Henry wasn't that great match at first. It was Henry Percy. More Henrys. Mm, oldest idiot. son of the Earl of Northumberland, which was apparently one of the most powerful appointments in the country. And Anne and Henry Percy seemed to be truly in love. But King Henry had his Chancellor, Cardinal Wolsey, force, ah, yes. force Henry Percy to call off their engagement after much, much, much pestering. And, well, that didn't mean Henry wanted to marry her. His theory was if she got married to someone so powerful, then she could never become his mistress. And he didn't mm. want to take that off the table in the future mm. if he wanted her. Mm, sure. So he future killed that engagement. Yes. Yeah. Um, luckily for King Henry, Anne actually never knew about this, He that he was behind it. She entirely blamed Cardinal Wolsey and held a grudge really? against him for the rest of his life. Really? She you, vowed you, to ruin his think, life. Who do you think gives him his orders? <laughs> she was young. She vowed to okay, ruin his life if she ever enough. got the chance. And she did that. She did that. She will do that later. Yeah. Okay. So Good for Anne her. did the best she could nice. to show King Henry she didn't want to be with him, but she couldn't really outright spurn him because he's the king. So she left the court for more than a year. She was like, just like there's no more ways to say no nicely. Um, when she left, Henry sends her a series of whiny letters. Where'd she go? It, the book I read didn't say where she went. Just oh, left away. the court. Left the court. I don't know. Down the street. Um, Down on the corner. Here, I wanted to read you an expert excerpt from one of Henry's whiny letters. Okay. Um, quote, I am sure that I have since never done anything to offend you, and it seems a very poor return for the great love which I bear you to keep me at a distance, both from the speech and the person of the woman that I esteem most in the world. Which is a big ouch, because, you know, his wife is still his wife, and... And big she's not the ouch. woman she esteems most in the world. Big so. And she's proofreading all his letters as a good wife. So, yeah. I mean, this really just predates internet trolls, really. He promised Anne yeah. if she would just give herself up, body and heart to him, he would take her as his only mistress. What, like, what a deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a deal. So, yeah. like, yeah. this is years. This goes on for years. And then Henry's like, all right, screw this. I'm going to marry you, Anne Boleyn. Now will you accept me? And, I mean, she's not dumb. She's yeah. like, all right, this isn't going away. I This is uh, smart. I should be the queen. That's at least fine, good match, whatever. Um, <laughs> Queen's a good title if you can get it. Right? Yeah. So this was not a love match for Anne, but it was for Henry, which is awkward, but oh well. Yeah. Um, she tried to spend as much time away from court. She didn't have to see him a lot, you know. She refused to engage in a sexual relationship with him until... 
they were married. So that was like 10 years of courting, by the way. That she what would happened not to give it up to him. She was just there. She was in court. They were both in court together. It was awkward. What can I say? Wait, so he said he was going to marry her, but he didn't have his annulment yet? No. He just promised to marry her so that she would finally, probably, probably finally sleep with him. Because in those days, once you were pre-contracted, it wasn't a sin to have premarital sex. Oh. But she still wouldn't do it. Because she's smart and she didn't want to give the king what he wanted until she had secured the, the actual, queen yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, back to the great matter that I spoke of. Although many people think of the great matter as Henry trying to get rid of Katharina because he wanted Anne, it does seem that Henry kind of convinced himself that he was really doing it for the Catholic reason. Of the annulment. Well, I mean, the, great, the best lie is the ones you tell yourself. Exactly. Because right? he was saying, uh, according to Leviticus, quote, And if a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. So uh, Henry decided his marriage was cursed by God. Sure. Cursed by God. Or Too perhaps, bad he didn't read Leviticus beforehand. Perhaps yeah. he thought... God was displeased with the false kingship claims of the Tudors, and he therefore denied Henry's sons with anyone. So, to show the divine right of the Tudor line, Henry had decided, ah, that's why I need a male heir. This is a good reason for myself to need to do this. It's mm. God's will. <laughs> yeah. Um, to show you how desperate he was getting, eh, and his advisors, they considered at this point marrying Princess Mary to Henry Fitzroy, Henry VIII's illegitimate son. Ooh, if they oh, could get that oh. special dispensation from the Pope, of course. But that that would have been weird. That yeah, been that, weird. that directly actually is. Well, half, half brother and half, half sister. sister. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's too close. Yeah. That's Spanish Habsburgs level. But that yeah. was plan B, because first Henry's going to get this annulment from the Pope, okay? He's going to get it. Okay. Katharina, importantly, was Catholic, and Anne was Protestant, as I said earlier. So this is going to create some, some struggles. Um, and another obstacle was Katharina herself. She was really smart, and she used all the means at her disposal to block the annulment, including Charles, her nephew, Charles I of Spain, and Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. So yeah, he's got a lot of power. And he can do things if he wants to. But he yeah. probably didn't care about her that much, like when you think about it. He had a lot on his mind with that whole Reformation thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that he was using the excuse of caring about her to impede Henry politically, you know? Like, that's more where his... Yeah. What he was doing. He was just using it as an excuse, right? And at this time, um, papal annulments are not that hard to get, if you're rich and powerful, that is. Like a I think king? Henry had that covered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, Henry's sister Margaret easily got an annulment to her marriage, which made Henry really mad, because he'd been driving for a while. Um, but she had a pretty good reason, I think. Uh, her husband had kidnapped her son, James V, in order to usurp her place as regent and rule Scotland. Oh. Um, so her annulment was granted, <laughs> was granted oh, on the grounds that her husband had been pre-contracted to marry another woman. Not for that reason. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Great. I thought you were going to say for being a jerk, but that was not where you were going on that one. I, I, think, get an I don't think there's anything that. against that in the Bible. Okay. Okay. And just to prove that Henry was a weird hypocrite, I just had to include this. Henry then writes Margaret a letter, probably because he's so angry that he didn't get his annulment. And in it, he writes... You need to, quote, respect the divine ordinance of inseparable matrimony. You are in danger of damnation. He also, in that letter, tells her tells her the annulment is negligent parenting. Because it would make her daughter with her husband illegitimate. And how dare she do that to her child? Wow. He never really seemed to see the irony in that. Yeah, wow, okay. How curious. To make things more complicated, Henry, really yeah. Henry was his own worst enemy in the great matter because he kept stubbornly insisting his first marriage had been wrongfully sanctioned by the Pope in the first place. So oh. he was insisting, basically, the Vatican has to grant him the annulment. And while they do that, they need to openly admit the Pope had been wrong in the first place Yeah, to everyone. This is kind of one of those things where it's like the customer is always right. And so he's going back and being like, you guys was made this order Pope? wrong. I don't remember. Um, right because now, that would be a ooh, yeah. oof. Well, so 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 here's the thing: the church does not want to be questioned right now. That's this is the, the Reformation. Right, Reformation. This is the Reformation. Yeah. Reformation. Yeah. Martin Luther and those splitters, splitters, um, were establishing a different sect of Christianity called Protestantism, and the Pope 
wanted to give Henry what he wanted, so he was open to alternatives to annulment. He was considering allowing royal bigamy, maybe. Really? Or legitimizing a child born to a mistress, hint, hint, Henry Fitzroy. Mm -hmm. But Henry stubbornly said, no, the only way this is going to happen is you are going to recognize my marriage to Catherine as sinful and your mistake. Ego. Yeah. He had to be right. Yeah. And a good Catholic. Yes. So the Pope, by the way, at this time is Clement VII, by the way. Yes. He wasn't entirely unsympathetic to Henry. He really wanted to help him, but definitely couldn't. You see, the papacy had aligned itself with France and some Italian city-states against Charles V and the Holy Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Which is does sound confusing that the Holy Roman Empire is against the Pope, but okay. So I mean, that's a whole episode. At this point, yeah. the Holy Roman Emperor actually had the Pope as a prisoner for six months until he escapes. The Pope is too scared of Charles V to do anything like helping Henry in this, in yeah. this matter. Um, but Henry was, quote, not a man who would submit himself to any authority that was not directing him to do exactly what he wanted to do in the first place, end quote. Hmm. It was written by one of his advisors. The Catholic Church, uh, you know, argues him trying to get him to drop it or do anything else. They tried to convince Katharina that she could just voluntarily join a nunnery as an abbess. Then she would keep her status, her wealth, her power. She'd be the most powerful. That's the most powerful thing a woman could be in that day. Mm -hmm. Um, But Henry was like, no. (laughs) Wait, I'll say yes. I'll cooperate. As long as Henry also takes a vow of celibacy, like me. (laughs) <laughs> she knew that wasn't going to nice. happen. She was just trying with that. That was a good point. Yeah, that is a good one. Yeah. Um, and that's honestly all that we have time for this episode. Next one will probably be just as long, though, because this guy is interesting. Yeah. Um, so History is so cool. History I can history. be very cool and presented in a lot, not that dry writing timelines on a chalkboard type of school way to do it. Yeah, that's what I think. I yeah, mean, I think I think my segment was a bit dry, but it was also fun. I liked it. I learned a lot. Yeah. Hey. So everyone, make sure you tune in in two weeks to the next episode, which will be part two of King Charles. We'll finish talking about his... Henry VIII. Henry VIII. Why did I say King Charles? Because he's know. the current king. That's my... I'm going with that. Okay. We'll talk about Henry VIII, not King Charles. No, we will Well, there might be a Charles in there. We might say the word Charles okay. and Edward. I mean, King Charles is very interesting because the first one was kind of decent until he got his head cut off. Yeah. That, yeah. Hmm. Theme. (laughs) Mood. Big mood. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Teach Me Something. Once again, I'm Melissa. And I'm Everett. And I'm Warren. And I hope you learned something new. 